Welcome to the Inventory Professional Podcast, brought to you by Inventory Base, providers of industry-leading property inspection software, accredited training, and on-demand property reports. Join us as we discuss the latest news, legislation, and all things property, hosted by our very own inventory expert, Sean Hemming Metcalf. With regular special guests, listen in to our open and honest discussions about the role of the inventory professional and how to navigate through this ever-changing, fast-paced industry. Welcome to the Inventory Professional Podcast. I'm Sean from Inventory Base Academy. I'm joined to today's podcast by John King, TDS Ambassador, Lettings Professional, Trainer and Mentor. Welcome, John. Thank you very much indeed, Sean, and welcome to all our listeners. So, John, let's give our listeners a bit of background about you and your career and what you've been doing in the property industry so far. Oh, gosh, how far do we go back? Well, let, let, let me well, stay to... Here. Let me start by saying that um, I have come from an estate agency background and I started in the good old days of the early 80s. And I know a lot of our listeners will say, gosh, that's history. That's ancient history. But Mm -hmm. I started there and the industry was a lot different to what it is today. And I had a career which lasted um, probably 25 years in front line. Um, And then I had the opportunity to step into a consultancy role. And eventually I ended up working with TDS, uh, Tenancy Deposit Scheme, in the very early days of Tenancy Deposit Protection. And when the legislation first came out, it was discussed in 2004 as part of the Housing Act. And then in 2007, it became enacted and the three schemes were set up. Um, And then a couple of years into it, they suddenly realised, I think all the schemes realised, it wasn't this panacea that everybody thought it was going to be. And our work was cut out working with customer services, making sure the adjudication system worked. And I was very lucky to work along uh, Steve Harriot, Chief Executive of Tenancy Deposit Scheme, as he really sort of professionalised that side of the the business it's a piece of legislation that everybody had to use in uh, in in England and Wales and from there I was um, very lucky because as things opened up and I became an old stalwart um, I engaged with lots and lots of people across the industry so estate agents letting agents certainly professionals including inventory clerks and I found myself at the center of uh, a bit of a storm probably Uh, five or six years ago, because the government kept on adding in bits of industry legislation. Um, And I believe most most letting agents would would know there are extreme numbers of legislation impacting their business today. And that's where we're at now, where we've got an industry where, unfortunately, self-regulation hasn't worked. Um, And I find myself um, going over a certain age, but still getting contact from people who want help and training, not only for their new staff, but their their current staff who've been there providing the service for years, who also need a bit of support. So there's mentoring on many different levels, but it's also guiding them as to best practice. And maybe we'll even get around to talking about Roper this morning. No, that would be great. That will be great. And that's kind of really um, what I'd like to discuss during this podcast. So what I'd like to discuss certainly is about you being a mentor for the um, industry and and also what attracted you to doing that role. Looking at ROPA, which is the Regulation of Property Agents, and also then 
um, where inventory professionals fit into this whole structure. You know, what role do they have to play? How do they support the industry? So they're the three key topics of our conversation today. So let's start and talk about how you become a mentor. What, what do you enjoy about the role? What, what makes you want to do this? Because it is something that is often on your own time and not even paid in some respects. Oh, it, it, it's 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 definitely um, something that I do on a voluntary basis, and sometimes it's just on an informal basis. I suspect most people out there would have heard the phrase that those who can do and those who can't teach. So yeah. there's an element of when you become a mentor that that maybe you're there to sort of guide people uh, and give them information so they can adjust either their own work practices, their own professionalism or maybe even add value to their business. But actually, uh, it's about listening. Often people just want somebody else to listen to what they've got to say without turning around and say, well, I wouldn't do that. This is what I would do. And I don't have all the answers for, for all those people who are out there clamoring for somebody to talk to. I'm not going to be the silver bullet, which um, solves all your woes, uh, especially if you're frontline, mm-hmm. because I think those people who are frontline would recognize that it's a long time since I've been in, involved in that. And everybody I talk to, I have a real appreciation that dealing with customer service in the property industry generally is a whole lot different to what it was 35, 40 years ago. And, yeah, I would agree time, from my, sorry, bigger pardon, I interrupted. Yeah, I would agree from, certainly even from my point of view, I've been in the industry since, um, say, 2012. And it has even, even that short period of time changed dramatically, especially, like I said, over that customer service, that customer experience. And certainly any mentoring that I've personally done, I, I very much agree with you. It's not about you giving them the answers, but you then saying, OK, well, how would you do it and explore that and get them to think yeah, on their own feet? Because I totally like agree. Quite like you said. Yeah, Sometimes I, it's, I, they've got the answer, but they just don't know it, but they need someone to act as a, a bit of a sounding board. Yes, I think it's that sounding board charm, which allows people to um, sort of analyse their own thoughts. So what do I get out of that mentoring? Um, it, it, it's literally the the feeling that I've supported somebody just by saying, seems to me you've got the answer. And certainly in the industry and the, and the companies I've worked with in the past, uh, age just gives me a leg up in that area sometimes you you do get people saying to you I've, I've got this problem what do I do about it and I say well just talk talk me through it and while they're talking through it they're giving me the solution and and I'm saying to them seems you've already done it you've already got what you need to do so go and do it and I think so therefore it's really a confidence thing some of us have an inner voice which is quite destructive um, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Oh, no, no, that could happen if you get involved in that. But a lot of it is about saying to people, I used to say to my staff all the time, big yourself up. You know, you're doing it. You know, don't don't hold back, but still concentrate on the key thing, which is doing it the best way you can, the most professional way you can, and sometimes maybe doing it a little bit different from everybody else. And I think that's what mentoring is about. It's about listening and then just feeding back in the right positions.
John, I totally agree. And that's exactly how I view it. I mean, I've not done a huge amount of mentoring per se, not in the, uh, I suppose, in the traditional sense, in the fact that someone said to me, can you be my mentor? I have done it in a previous role in my previous life um, when I was working with the prison service. Um, but um, certainly what I find I do a lot of in with the Inventory Base Academy is, like I said, just listening, just uh, being a sounding board and, and people just saying, you know, I've got this problem, not really sure how to deal with it. And and then I'll reflect back to them and say, okay, well, have you thought about this? Would you do it that, that way? What everybody, exactly. everybody else is doing, you know, we, because I think certainly from an industry point of view, and certainly from an infantry club point of view, there's so much there we can learn from other professionals in the industry, agents, letting agents, property managers. We, you know, we could take so much from that, but we just got to listen and look and find out what exactly. it is that we're doing. And, I, and, and actually, Sean, I picked up on what you said there. You know, you come from a very challenging professional background where supporting people who are possibly locked into a cycle which is difficult to get out of um, telling somebody this is what they should do isn't necessarily the best thing for them it's about allowing them to develop so that's going to be in all areas and and um, what have I got out of mentoring well I could tell you lots of things that I've got out of mentoring certainly uh, friendships and and some sort of um, professional appreciation um, I also feel better in myself because in some small way, I, I feel I'm contributing. But actually, I think the biggest thing that comes out of it is when you look at the profession as a whole, how do you develop 20 years experience when you've only been in the business five months? You don't. Um, but what the advantage you have is that you understand the profession at that single point in time. And then you just need to feed in the strands that will support people. And I'm a great fan and of that. And you've done some training and, and I do quite a bit of training. And the key thing I say to people initially, apart from putting them on in a situation where they feel comfortable, is about, OK, I've got a I've got a plan. I've got a PowerPoint. But that's not what you're here for. Tell me what you want, because if you if you don't ask that question, you don't learn what people need to get from you. And that's that's also about mentoring. It's not jumping in and saying to somebody, oh, this is what you've got to do. I know best. I've done it for 40 years. That's the word. You know, look, I turn into somebody's father, maybe even <laughs> grandfather. Um, and the problem is with that is that you're directing them somewhere they don't need to go. They've got yeah, the answers. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you could easily give them a bullet pointed list. Do this, do that, go from A to B and so on and so forth. But that doesn't necessarily reflect them as an individual. We all got different strengths, different weaknesses, different yeah. ways of dealing with it. You know, I look at some people, certainly on the sales side, you know, I could never do what they do. I'm not a sales person, but I'm a good listener. And I can, I, I've got the patience to do that. Whereas I find some again some salespeople don't have that patience so I think it's about dovetailing and finding out little bits from individuals how they deal with things and giving them like yes. you said, that ability to choose what fits their skill set how they see things but also then challenge them and say to them well if you thought about it that way or have you thought about it this way what would you do differently and get them to think about it because as you quite rightly said sometimes that will then give a light bulb moment and all of a sudden they've got the answer that they've been looking for and searching, which they had oh, all the time, but they just it, didn't know it. I think you're right. But I, I, I would probably pull you up on one point, which is you say you're not a salesperson, but I think in the property industry, you have to be a people person and yeah. you're a people person. And if you care about what you're doing and the people you're doing it 
for it's not about it's not about actually looking at the income eventually it will be look let's not soft soap it you know Mm -hmm. uh, people are in business to make a profit and people who work for companies are in there to earn a salary and because most of our industries revolves around commission people are geared towards doing transactions but if you start with people then if you care then you find that most people are actually look back afterwards and say, wow, I've earned, I've earned a living doing something I enjoy. So I don't think anybody who's actually in sales would say, I'm selling a particular product. They're selling themselves. It's a people business. And therefore, they, they, they pick up on the nuances of people. And it's about satisfying needs. But just like I was saying in the training environment, or even in the mediating um, of being a, 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 a mentor to people in all these situations, it's about grasping hold of, well, what are people's needs? You know, what do you want? It's not what I think you want. What do you want? And that's how, yeah. how the industry has always been built. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely a people's um, industry in that regard, without a doubt. Because certainly, even when I, do, as a consumer, I walk into an agent or to be honest, any kind of you know that immediate interaction with that individual, you know, that warming smile, that feeling that I'm, you know, I'm welcomed. It helps break down the barriers, get the, get the conversation going, and then you wouldn't necessarily need to do the hard sell because, like you said, you're warming to that person and you think you're developing that trust, that bond, and you feel like I can, I can then take that transaction Absolutely. further. Absolutely. I mean, there are certain industries, and I think property is one of those. People buy people. Uh, you can't really hard sell at somebody else's home and, or, or necessarily an area they'll do their own research and there's lots of emotion involved and because there is emotion involved and that's when it comes back to to the the, the mentoring charm what I find is that it, when I'm talking to people or, or listening in those environments and you, they've got to be able to trust you and and funnily enough the way they trust you is they don't know you yeah. So I Which find is weird, it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I find in mentoring, people say, "Oh, I've seen your picture on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I'm doing a bit of men- you're doing a bit of mentoring for me." And I say, "That's fine. You know, you don't need to know too much about me, but you know, let, let's talk about it because it's not about where I've come from; it's where they want to go. So yeah. that's much more important. Um, and I find with mentoring, although I do I do get something out of it, I don't actually ask for feedback from the people I've been mentoring because I think that's disingenuous to them. They, they go off and then they analyse what they, oh, did, if, was that useful or was that not useful? They will find something useful and it may be only one little nugget. That's it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, like you said, a, a big silver bullet, a big light bulb moment, a, a big kind of like almost wow, I didn't know that. And now I I understand everything. Sometimes it's just one little thing that they can go away and implement. And because they've done that, things have changed. Things become easier. They've grasped it better, that they understand it more than they ever did before. And that, like you quite rightly said, that is is brilliant. And you don't need that feedback, certainly. It's it's just nice to go away. um, And that knowing that person hopefully will go and think about it. And sometimes you do get that feedback and they'll say to you, oh, that worked really well. Or I did this or I'm just feeling better in myself. That to me, that is brilliant. If if, if I if someone ever said that to me, I'm I'm happy for the rest of the day. I'll tell you a funny little story. When I first started uh, in in business when I was 17, you know, 19 frozen to death. 
Um, I, I worked for uh, a chat. I can remember his name now, Mr. Thomas. He was a lovely bloke in business. And uh, we used to talk about um, things that we could do, improvements to the business and things like that. And um, he had a partner who was a senior partner. And uh, he used to say to me, that's, a, that's, that's something we could work on, John. But just remember, if, it, if it's a good idea, it's my idea. If it's a bad idea, it's your idea. And I think internalizing in somebody's head, what they need to accept is whatever their decision is, it's a good decision. Mm. They need to continue down that road and they'll make little diversions down the road. That's what mentoring is about. It's just about focusing their minds. They've got the route in their mind. Off they go. That's it. Yeah. And a lot of the time, like I said, they don't realise that but until they've talked about it. And then I thought, oh, actually, you know, I'd already thought about it. I was going to do that anyway. But, but now, yeah, I, it's just all made sense. And like you said, connecting the dots getting those strands nice and linear so that you can actually see where you're going because sometimes I think we get really caught up in the worry of it getting it wrong and also be seen to get it wrong and then you kind of detract away from where you actually are and probably nine times out of ten you're in the right space but you just worried yourself out of it. And I should say for everybody who's listening to us, when it comes to mentoring uh, my experience is it doesn't have to be a long conversation. Again it's a sort of um just a nice soft conversation it, it's not lying down on the uh, psychiatrist's couch although mm-hmm. I expect that's useful to some people <laughs> sometimes it's just having the ability to phone somebody up and say I've been working my way through this and they let fly for 20 minutes and then I get to the end of the conversation they go well that's great John thank you very much indeed I've got to go now and that that is the whole extent of my mentoring Mm. just listening for 20 minutes but because I'm not involved and I don't directly have an input to what they're doing and in fact I don't earn anything out of what they're doing I just become as you mentioned earlier this sounding board this um this way of them externalizing what they've been thinking and it just makes a bit of clarity that's what it does a bit of clarity yeah and I think you know especially in today's world we're so busy, even now, I know we, we, we've kind of, with everything's been going on, everything's kind of slowed down a little bit. We're already starting to speed up again. And then we're getting back into that space where everything's got to be done a thousand miles an hour. You're having to think on your feet all the time. And, um, you know, having a mentor actually kind of makes you slow down a little bit, makes you think about things, might helps you kind of, you know, you know just take a bit yeah. of time out. And it, I think- it does, it's people when separated from people, you know, face to face, you know, we should say to everybody, we're not doing this face to face. We're, we're, we're very social distanced uh, but the technology uh, has allowed us to do that and lots of people are engaging with the technology so these are new ways and yeah. nobody should say well let's go back to the old ways there's always an improvement and these disruptors in the market actually I don't like that phrase disruptor I always like to think of it as an improvement <laughs> it's yeah it's- it, I always find disruptive, disruptive or disruptor quite um, angry it's, it's, aggressive. it's aggressive. It is aggressive, isn't it? aggressive. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like somebody trying to smash it up. Yes. Certainly, disruptors would be changing the business. But I think actually, those fragments of whatever's come out of uh, a new way of doing, everybody doesn't take on all elements of it. They add slight differences. So there are still people who want to traditionally view a property. Uh, I seem to remember 30 odd years ago, somebody saying to us, videos were the way of looking at a property at a distance. You know, in fact, there were companies setting up videoing. Uh, let me just explain to everybody, a video was a great big black uh, box with tape running around it. And you used <laughs> to post it off to somebody so they could look at a house from a distance. 
all that's gone. And I'm sure there are people who do buy or rent properties uh, or take commercial properties simply based on what they see on on, um, one of the portals or, or any other delivery method. But interestingly enough, people still like, because the emotional attachment, to get involved. So mm. it, it's just lots of little bits and pieces, lots of strands coming together. And I think that's what's challenging for bis- businesses at the moment, particularly, is which of those sort their suit their methodology and, and their skills. And, and that's where it all comes from. And I see lots of people on things like LinkedIn, and I admire them because they really decided to do things their way. But actually, if you put a little magnifying glass over it, it some of those are quite traditional. All mm-hmm. they're doing it is is for a new market, new yeah. people, new generations. Um, and there's still they're still people buying. That's what it is, people buying. Yeah, and and, that, and our industry is exactly that. We do buy from the person, no different when we eat. We you know we eat with our eyes. We you know we look at things and then decide do we want to do something. Same with people, you know, we, we get that instant reaction, that instant connection, or not, as the case may be, because it's yeah. not always straightforward. And then, like you said, then we then take that conversational transaction on further. That kind of dovetails quite nicely into that. Then our next point about Roper. So for anybody yes. that's not quite clear on what Roper is, it's a regulation of property agents, and basically in a very short nutshell it's going to be a case of that um, residential property businesses letting agents state agents will be licensed in order to be effectively a fit and proper person um, in order to carry the the role of providing uh, estate and letting agent services to the industry and also to the consumer Um, and obviously there's a lot more to it than that Um, but at the moment it's um, also delayed but um, in regards to Roper itself, how do you envisage Roper actually improving the industry, bearing in mind what we've just been discussing about, you know, how it's a people's person industry and how we buy and sell, etc.? Well, I straddled this period where there was no regulation. And remember, the, um, the Estate Agents Act came in 1979. And again, there, there was life before 1980. Um, <laughs> but the reality of self-regulation, which the industry has been, been through over the last 40 years, has caused an issue. And, and you know, the government have decided to step in. And some agents out there will be looking at it as being a benefit. You know, they're professional. They will want to be licensed. That will take people out of the business who aren't licensed. And there'll be other people who are saying, well, it is a free market economy and it really should work on, on the basis of, um, you know, what the public want to buy. This people buying, matching up with people. But it, it, it's an indictment now that really the industry has failed on self-regulation. So the next stage is going to be regulation. And initially, uh, Roper will, will be rolled out to letting agents. That, that's the, the plan. And then I'm guessing it will be estate agents in general, and then it will work its way through different associated industries, maybe even landlords themselves. That's something to look out for. Um, I deliver for MOL um, some of the tutor webinars for the property mark qualifications. And I'm very pleased to see that, that a lot of people are still taking up certainly the level three so that they can get themselves 
some sort of formal qualification which will aid them in the future when Roper comes into being. And you quite rightly pointed out, Sean, it's delayed. Who knows what's going to happen? Mm. Um, and, and we have to sort of keep a watching brief on that one. I think more difficulty will come the way of um, directors and partners because to stay in position, they've got to be level four. And that's a little bit more torturous especially if you haven't studied for a while it, it's sort of making some clean space and um, putting yourself in a position where you 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 get a level four now why do I say level four well should I say at the moment that there is no confirmation of what the qualification will that will be needed in for for Roper and and like we see on the side of packets of food there are other serving suggestions <laughs> and, and it were, could well be that other training is is given the badge to provide suitable equivalent level three level fours to satisfy Roper in the future at the moment the, the property mark one is the one that everybody knows um, and it does cover lettings, property management, sales. Um, there's even one, I think, for inventory clerks. That's interesting. I've not, I've not actually seen that. That's an indictment, isn't it? I've not seen that one. But I've certainly seen the one for tenancy deposit protection because, in fact, TDS push and encourage most of their staff to, to take up that qualification. It's part of uh, being a member of the team to provide um, tenancy deposit protection guidance to customers. Um, but I... I how do I see this affecting the industry? Well, I think there'll be remolding, which is going on already. I think we can see that in the acquisition market. And I think there is a, a lot of concern about whether people will necessarily stay in the business. But let's assume that it's come into force. Let's look further. Down. Let's try and sort of imagine what's going to happen further down the road. I don't think some form of regulation can be a bad thing. I think formal regulation will give the, the buying public, the, the, the people entering into the um, landlord market confidence, and it will also allow agents, and I, I talk about sales and lettings at the same time, the ability to say, I, I'm a professional, because yeah. I've mentioned professionalism a few times, and there's some really good agents. I've come across plenty in my time, but there are others who who you know, one minute they're doing something else, then they're in a state agency, then they're out again. And, and I just see that as being somebody who's maybe trying to take advantage of a good market as opposed to a bad market. And really good sales and letting agents stay in the stream come what may, and they they try and swim against the current when things are bad, and they have good times when, when the current's going their way. But I think what Roper will do is it will certainly put a, an air of professionalism and if that folds into all suppliers then I don't think that can be a bad thing do you I don't I don't <clears throat> excuse me um I don't think at all um I think in a way I was a bit disappointed initially when I saw the, the initial framework and understanding of rope that infantry certainly from the infantry supply point of view that that wasn't an immediate inclusion because of if you look at what they're saying that the agents will need to do and the um, the kind of like the framework around that, you would naturally assume because 
clerks are dealing with clients, with landlords, with agents, not necessarily obviously with money, so we don't need the CMP side of things, but obviously with in regards to the advice, the guidance, and the fact that it affects the deposit potentially going forward if you know the report's not managed well, conversations aren't um, uh, exact and proper, and legislation isn't followed, then obviously there's potential repercussions. I would agree, but I, th- I think there's probably two things there. There will be some letting agents who still have in-house inventory teams, and of course, therefore, they will be covered by ROPA because they will be uh, staff members. And if they have frontline access to customers, they will need to be qualified. So they're in that environment. Now, I'm sure you're alluding also to to people outside um, and and, and I'm sure people will have heard of inventory base and, and all the other uh, elements that you provide within your your software which can be taken up by lots of potential customers you know from estate agents to inventory clerks direct um, but I think one of the things the inventory business has got to sort of step up to or should I say people who use external inventory clerks should start to think about is they are professionals yes. um, and you and I came together recently because I'd been uh, doing a little training session, which I did for a company. And I started off talking about they were the evidence gatherers. I had this big picture of CSI, copyright, by the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> CSI. And, and I, I said to them, you know, you are, you, you, you are the ones gathering the evidence. Now, it may not be like that forensic program that's on, I think they call it the real forensics on the television at the moment, where the, the police show you that actually most of their crime fighting is done with science nowadays. But, but I think that provision of a really good quality guidance document at the beginning, and then again at the end, so that you know, if there is an opportunity for the landlord to find themselves in a situation where they've suffered a loss, that they can still back that up with evidence. Now, there's there's a lot of that which comes under rope, right, I feel. So if you're, you're in-house, I would say you're, you're going to be covered. External, that's, that's the difficulty. And I think some of those inventory clerks, uh, those inventory companies, those inventory providers who maybe stand alone, almost independent, but they are independent. Mm. They have customers who pay them to do, do a role. It's about quality assurance, isn't it? And self-assurance. It Yeah, and that's exactly how I look at it because of the fact that um, when it comes to reporting, it's the one document that will potentially cause either a landlord to lose access to the deposit or the tenant to lose their deposit if it's not done right. The problem I, I think I have certainly at the moment with the way the industry views inventory reports and checkout reports and interim inspections and that whole part of that lettings process it, it seemed in some cases not all but in some cases that it's a what well, something i've got to do but i don't really want to don't really want to pay yeah. for it and i'm yeah. it's always yeah. trying to push it down to its lowest figure amount cost as opposed to quality my thoughts are quality should be the first and foremost conversation piece that should be the only thing that's on the table, and then the price side of it comes at a secondary conversation and secondary stage. And in a way, I'm hoping that because, like you quite rightly said, in-house inventory clerks, because they're a part and parcel of that um, agency, they will be under ROPA guidelines. So that will naturally follow out into the wider industry because you've got a, a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge of people 
working um, and completing um, property reports, but they are not necessarily seen in a professional light. And I think if we could standardise that viewpoint with ROPA, with a qualification, with a level three, level four, either by property mark, able agent, or also doing a similar kind of um, training, I believe. Um, And I'm sure there'll be other options out there as well. But to give that confidence to whoever's either purchasing that service, be that an agent, be that a landlord, be that a tenant, because even under the Tenant Fee Act, they can still have that option. As long as they've got that option, they can ask for a report. It's their deposit at the end of the day. If, it, if the property doesn't come with one, I know I would want one. And there's then- there's an interesting point. You make a very interesting point there that the, the Tenant Fees Act, and I spoke to lots of inventory clerks who said, oh, you know, we're not getting as much business as we, we were because they were reliant on uh, either the letting agents selling their services to the landlord mm-hmm. or the landlord making a very positive decision that he needed to have some sort of uh, inventory. But a bit like after the horses bolted, the quality of that document only came into conversation at the end of the tenancy when the landlord suddenly realised that they didn't have enough evidence to show why they were entitled to make a deduction. Yeah. Now, a TDS, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, hang my um, flag out there as a TDS ambassador, and that's where my experience is. And I'm sure the other schemes are just the same. They guide uh, letting agents and landlords to have a good quality inventory, because although it's not in the legislation, and it was actually talked about when the legislation came out, I know that um, the Association of Residential Landlords, as it was at that time, property mark as it is now, uh, really sort of pushed to have a standardised inventory, made it part of the legislation. It was decided that it it was too difficult to standardise. So that was never taken up. And now you're left with a competitive market strategy where people have to show quality. Now, the Tenant Fees Act, what that's done is that said to landlords, well, why am I having a landlord? You know, the tenant should benefit from it, but the tenant's not paying for it. Well, remember, that was only an income stream. Um, Yeah. In the first stage, it should be there to protect the landlord's interest. And there's nothing to stop a land, uh, sorry, excuse me, a a tenant employing an inventory clerk directly to carry out the work. And and there'll be lots of inventory clerks going out there to me now saying, yeah, occasionally we get them, but generally we don't. Um, But maybe that's uh, an avenue that inventory clerks need to look at because the key thing when it comes to a tenancy deposit dispute is... Although we cannot insist, and by we I mean uh, the schemes, they cannot insist on evidence as an inventory clerk being provided, they do say, look, it's going to be really, really difficult for us to come to some sort of conclusion without a document at the beginning and at the end. Now, you may have other evidence or you may have an admission. Wow, that would be a first, but you you may have an admission. But that's where inventories now fall. And I think you're absolutely right. There are lots of landlords out there who have been told, well, you know, if you're going to take a deposit, you might as well have an inventory because if you don't, you're not going to get very far. And then it's, well, can I get one done for, I don't know, £25, £50, whatever it is. Well, then you're not going to get quality, are you? No. And and this is, I think, the biggest sticking point is because there's such um, a difficulty in getting the industry to look at inventories in the light that they should. They're evidence-based 
documents, their risk assessments, they have the potential to, like I said, lose or um, gain access to that deposit. But all, equally, they also act as a very good barometer as to how that property is in regards to fitness for human habitation. Look at the Homes Act 2018. Yes. Um, and to be able to then kind of almost then give the landlord the heads up, look, things aren't right or things need to be changed or things need to be, ma uh, maintenance needs to be done. So the document has the ability to do a lot in regards to setting the standard, getting the property compliant and, and giving the tenant, um, you know, the best possible renting experience. Because at the end of the day, the consumers, they're not just a byproduct. If That's you don't it. have a tenant, you don't That's have it. a letting. And sometimes I think that there's a disconnect there with that thought process. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I had um, uh, I, I had I had to go into court for all the right reasons. I hasten to add, mm -hmm. um, and I, I was standing with a landlord who was trying to uh, extract damages that exceeded the deposit from from the uh, from the tenant. Um, and he, the only way he could do that was by going to court. And he felt he had enough evidence and the uh, collation of the evidence had been provided to the judge. But it wasn't one of those formal settings. It was done in judges um, chambers. Um, we were either side of the table. Now, I've, I pretty much knew we were on ropey ground as soon as the, the judge, I could see them talking to the tenant and saying, you know, don't worry, I'll guide you. And um, you know, the, the judge was looking at the tenant, as you mentioned there, a consumer, a customer, not the professional. And he was looking at us with our suits and silk ties and saying, you're the professionals. And we put our case. Um, but when we were explaining, I, I, I could feel our case pulling away from us very quickly mm -hmm. because we were talking about dust and dirt and damage and a couple of small missing items. The rent wasn't so much a problem because it's a contract, a key contractual obligation. And my client ended up getting a payment per month, probably for the rest of the tenant's life, you know, nothing, nothing dramatic. But these words have stung me for years, which is where the judge looked at us and says, I'm sorry, but all these items you mentioned are just a part of your commercial action. You know, you've you've let a property, you've had rent. Okay, I've dealt with the rent now that you're owed, but everything else you talked about is just a consequence of your commercial action. You let a property, you've got a customer, suck it up, get on with it. Mm. Um, I never got paid for that. Can I just put that on, <laughs> on record somewhere? <laughs> but yeah, I I understood that you know if you're going to go to court, you're never going to get anywhere. Judges aren't interested in half an inch of dust and a missing bath mat. But therefore, if you're going and you called it access to the deposit so it's the tenant's money always is the tenant's money everybody understands that they've they've paid that and it's against their their um, contract and and it's if they are being asked to pay a deposit it's a capped amount nowadays anyway but if the landlord really feels that they're entitled to make some sort of deduction against the deposit they've got to have the evidence and the burden of proof lies with them or their letting agent, not not anybody else. It's not for the tenant to agree or, or to counterclaim or anything of that nature. In fact, in tenancy deposit deductions, there is no counterclaim process because the, the tenants, it's, we're not caught. TDS aren't caught. Um, no, exactly. You, I mean, you, the TDS and as, as the other schemes also put in their own documentation. It's, you know, it's a binding process. Once you, once you get, enter into that, once the decision's made, then, then that is the decision. There, there is nothing else to do apart from potentially, you know, take it to court for anything over and above that deposit that it doesn't yeah. cover like rent. 
Correct. Or or, or even, John, um, uh, often people would say, I'm going to take TDS to court to have this adjudication struck out. I'm not aware of any of them being struck out in court because, as the judges would say, it's not wrong in law. You asked somebody to adjudicate. You you agreed to their terms and conditions. They adjudicated. That's it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But if you're going to take it to court, be aware that judges will look at these things in a much, much different light. Now, if you've got a professional inventory and it's all singing, all dancing, maybe even even maybe even the word Clark. What do you feel about that? That word Clark, Sean, what does that say to you? For me, that is something that I was when I was 16. I'm clearly not 16 anymore. I've got two grown up sons. One's married. The other one I'm trying to get rid of. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> For me, it's it's something that doesn't it does not state what we are or what the the people that are doing these reports are. I've never been comfortable with the name Clark, um, but trying to find an alternative that that either people will accept or understand or fits with the industry is a bit difficult because we're not agents, we're not letting agents, we're not estate agents. Um, some people have used the word professional. It's something I use. I, I like inventory professional because when you look at the background of people, if you look at their experiences what they bring to the table their understanding people think that it's just an admin task someone just turns up and takes a couple of pictures goes oh that looks nice or actually that's damaged and then walks away it's so much more than that i was going to say clark is a bit nicholas nickleby isn't it it's it's one of those it it gives you imagery of somebody scratching with an ink pen on a piece of (laughs) parchment um i think the the reality is that maybe there are opportunities here now better people than i will will know what those are but uh, I, you, you couldn't call a, a, an inventory uh, professional a, a surveyor. That they're, they're not qualified in that area. No. If you're doing a commercial property and you're providing a schedule of condition, you're, you're probably a surveyor um, or working for a surveying company at the very least. But certainly, I think there's an opportunity for added value in that area of inventory, whether it's providing the the uh, inspection, midterm inspection services, um, which I know a lot of inventory clerks who are now throwing things at their, their mobile devices. Um, yes, I, I realise they're very important for a, a claim against the deposit if it's necessary. Um, maybe it's the photography. I'm sure that's included within quality software like the one you provide. Um, I think on top of Uh, that there are opportunities for maybe being a first point of contact with a maintenance issue for settling cleaning issues maybe organizing it it's much more of a inventory and property management role than it is a clerk it is yep i totally agree and i'm in a way that's one of the reasons why when i was when roper was first kind of muted and started being uh, talked about in the industry i thought what a great opportunity for us as inventory suppliers, inventory professionals, and the industry as a whole, to use that framework to be able to standardise the reporting process. And I noted earlier on, you said about, you know, we can't necessarily, or or certainly the schemes don't necessarily want to set a framework or reporting structure. But I don't understand why we can't. Because if you look at it from a pure evidence point of view, and because of my background, that's how I view reports. I always look at it, if the report can go to a, a court of law and stand up to the test in front of a judge and a solicitor, then everybody else underneath it will be naturally protected because that evidence level, that evidence understanding is so much higher. So obviously with um, the schemes, it's about balance of probability. When it gets to a court of law, it's about balance of fact. 
So certainly when I'm training clerks through the academy and just when I'm talking to people in general, I'm always saying to them, yeah, everything should be based on fact. What can you prove to be either uh, in regards to damage, issues, items missing, etc. What is fact? Not your opinion, not subjective, but actual fact. Um, and then that way, then a court of law can then potentially, if you ever have to get to that stage, would be able to deal with that. But I don't understand why we can't have a framework, certainly have a formatted report where there is standardised items within that report that has to be done each and every single time to a certain level. So I'm talking about your health and safety, your smoke, your carbon monoxide alarms. I'm talking about fitness with human habitation and everything that goes around that. And I was at the Excel yesterday, the Isle of Property Mark conference and exhibition. And it was actually something that was, I was speaking to Timothy Douglas from Property Mark and um, he kindly let me know because I wasn't able to get into that session. The whole issue around inventories and then becoming mandatory is being discussed, which is great in one way because then we could then got potential to standardise it. And obviously if rope can then include the inventory actual process and documentation and how it fits in with the lettings kind of like timeline and time process, that would be great. But my only concern with making it mandatory is the fact that we could end up with another situation where we've got EPCs. EPCs became mandatory and then all of a sudden their value, their worth became less and less and less in regards to how much the provider receives for doing the work. But then the audit process um, and the the, uh, the the structure around it and what's required, et cetera, becomes more and more stringent. So then there becomes a very big battle between um, the ability to provide a very detailed report yeah. document EPC as opposed to what the cost will be. And well, that's think, certainly something you see yeah, in the surveillance. I, I think uh, possibly... Well. Possibly one of the opportunities will be if um, property MOTs or property passports mm-hmm. um, do become a fact again. Now, we went through this process where people, when they were selling a property, ha- had to have a, a huge file that they passed over to a t- potential buyer to uh, so that they could see the information before they took, took the matter further. And that died away, um, unfortunately, very quickly. But I think yeah, there is the talk of having property passports, and it could be that they're pri- part of that. Now, one of the things I would mention is I think you know, there is the inventory profession. There is a, a, a touch of fractured nature about it because there are regional organisations where people can join as a trade association. There, mm-hmm. there is the the one under the banner of Property Mark, and then there are companies. And forgive me if I say it, there are software companies like you, you know, who 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 are with all the um, good grace trying to make the profession more professional, more standardised. Yeah. And and so there is this fractured nature. And remember, it's taken a long time for the National Residential Landlord Association to go from being two organisations to being something which is approaching um, 90,000 members. In mm-hmm. fact, I think it's over 90,000 members. I don't think Ben Beadle will thank me for, for saying under. It's over 90,000 <laughs> sure members. Um, and I think, I think, you, the, the provision of the services that an inventory provider, professional provider, can can give, there is the opportunity. There is the opportunity. And we talked right at the beginning about people buying people. And, um, you know, maybe the, the people facing letting agents and estate agents can concentrate on their work. And maybe they can use the property professionals of the inventory standard to deliver all those other little bits and pieces in the background. But of course, doing an inventory is time consuming. 
And yes. that's where it seems to lose value for money because if it's done properly, and that's probably where software comes into it and the training of people comes into it. Because if you, if you just think of it as being a, a part-time fill-in job, and it has some uses within that employment structure to allow people to work flexibly, but the nature of somebody wanting an inventory, I expect you've come across this. I've got somebody moving in tomorrow. I need an inventory make and a check-in done tomorrow morning. How do you get that done accurately and properly? And this is the rub, and that happens all the time. And I think that's one benefit of technology, not just obviously what we do with inventory base, but just in general, you're, you know, you only have to look at the market to see what's out there. The technology um, enables that information capture um, a lot quicker than it ever has before. Pen, paper, we know how long that all kind of takes. And Depending on how detailed your report was, will then depend on how long that report actually takes, and then, of course, on all the pictures and everything else. So technology has made that whole process much more efficient and made it much more accessible for everybody, and, and clearly also brought us into line with things like um, being carbon neutral because it's paperless, so that's all great. But you still need that person there at the property gathering the information, understanding what they're gathering, why they are gathering. And that's the big disconnect that I find. Certainly when I'm training clerks is they kind of say, well, I need to have this and I need to have that because that's what the agent wants. Okay, great, lovely. Why do you need it? What purpose does it serve? And I'm always saying to people, you know, when it comes to photographs, clip happy, taking loads of photographs, you know, I've got thousands of photographs, great, lovely. But what do they do? What do they bring to the table? Do they have a purpose? And if they don't, then I would argue, well, why are they there? And you've maybe spent, I don't know, X amount of time gathering thousands, thousands of photographs, but actually they bring nothing to the conversation well, they, and they, they don't help. There's an interesting point for you, Sean, because um, uh, often in adjudications that I've seen or had to review when I was with TDS, and I know they still do that as part of their professional um, assessment, um, is when an adjudication was completed and a decision made, maybe the feedback would be if I'd have seen some other photographs or somebody, something else, my decision may have been different. And and the, the inventory clerk is asked, have you got any other photos? And they send it to us afterwards and say, oh, we have got them, but they weren't provided because people don't know what they necessarily need to provide. So you're right, thousands and thousands of photographs, not useful. Uh, a whole video um, of the property that an adjudicator may be asked to sit through three hours, it's not going to happen. You need to build your case and direct people to it. The useful thing about having those photographs is they may be a good backup. But yes. in essence, you're quite right. You don't know what's going to go wrong at the end of the tenancy, so you don't know what you're focusing on. What am I photographing? I've got no idea because I don't know what's going to go wrong. And, the, and this is the thing, and this is why, you know, having some kind of structural understanding will help, certainly in regards to what a report should have. I know all of the schemes, TDS, um, uh, My Deposits, DPS, they have kind of like a guidance as to what they would like to see a general, but it, it's guidance. It's, it's um, There's too many grey lines. I think there is potential to cement the templates, um, at least put into that, um, exactly what is needed in regards to what needs to be captured, the, the how it's captured in regards to terminology, 
again, we can do things with that, but not necessarily yeah. be too pre-described because every property is different and every person, how they capture it and what the landlord or what the client wants will differ. So there's capturing from that side. And, and, and as example, on the TDS side, I know, for instance, they have their own um, adjudication templates uh, with yes. a guidance document and, and they try and drive in the right information when, when somebody is trying to make a claim against the deposit. Um, and they do that because when they had open portals, people would just pick up a whole filing cabinet and throw the whole thing in and say, it's in there somewhere. And the yeah. problem with that is a bit like if you're in a case with a judge, if you don't direct him to the evidence, he's not going to go searching for it. So none of the schemes, their job isn't there to make the case. It's only to be able to use the evidence to come to the same conclusion. Um, and that's why I said right at the beginning that the burden of proof lies with the party making the claim. A lot of tenants do, and, and you and I smiled a little bit about it, make admissions because when they do respond, they will say something like, oh, yes, but, <laughs> yes, I did it, but surely that's allowed. Um, yeah. And then the adjudicator would say, well, it's not a case of did it happen? That's been agreed. Now I've got to calculate um, what, what the loss is. Yeah. So you're, you're quite right about directing the information. But again, because the schemes are working independently of the court, the court is working independently of the schemes, um, the inventory professions are working for their client, often they will be directed uh, at the beginning or just do it as best you can, as quickly as you can. And at the end, uh, somehow people are looking for a checkout, which is the size of war and peace. That's lots <laughs> of pages. Um, with all the evidence and sometimes it seems slightly unfair and of course all the professions involved in a transaction have a duty of care not only to their clients who are paying them but they have a duty of care to the tenant as well who's not paying them as we discussed with the tenant fees act they may not be getting anything out of it but they've still got a duty of care to them yeah absolutely and i don't disagree at all and i think that's quite right and i think that's one of the reasons why certainly from my own point of view inventory professionals you know whether it's in-house external it doesn't matter if you stick to what is there that's physical facts that you can you can evidence and then also at the end of the uh, tenancy you can evidence that material change to what extent it exists and then obviously then place potentially a number you know in regards to cost for a damage or something that needs to be done in regards to the maintenance, if it's a landlord with responsibility or liability. Um, it's a way of them making sure that, you know, you keep very much about the, the facts as they are, so you can substantiate them, prove them, and then, like you quite rightly said, show the adjudicator. So the adjudicator has got all of the evidence they need to make a balanced decision. And that's certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm always saying to people when I train them is you need to give them the evidence to make sure that they can make a balanced and informed decision. If they don't have Correct. it, they can't adjudicate on it. And, you know, so to me, um, you know, having a framework, templates, we've all got templates, we all use templates, but if we direct them to that end goal to provide them with that information, that ability to make that decision, then we would do our job properly and we would then naturally protect the, the interest of both the landlord, the agent and the tenant. Because sometimes the agent gets forgotten about this in, in this conversation, but the agent at the end of the day often has to broker that conversation between yes. the landlord and the tenant, deal with the aftermath and equally sometimes deal with um, the, 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 the whole kind of process as well. A, there's a very interesting point there because we, we, you and I have just redesigned the whole industry of, of inventory <laughs> professionals. But I do wonder whether or not there is an opportunity for 
the inventory professional to take away a lot of that uh, post-tenancy work for the letting agent who's who's really interested in getting on to the next transaction sorry to bring that to everybody's attention um and take away that big admin factor being the professional liaising with the landlord but also retaining the landlord for the agent because you don't want it to be a very short relationship it's got to be a relationship which goes on that's repeat business for the letting agent it produces more properties so there is a very close relationship between the letting agent and the inventory professional and that secures the landlord and the landlord's business duty of care for the future now we all know and i've just mentioned it tenants duty of care but a tenant today is not necessarily a tenant tomorrow they've moved on to another area they may be bought a property we, you know, we don't know due the care but of course the long-term relationship is is with the agency and and ultimately with the landlord so there is an opportunity here for inventory professionals to look at are we just providing a document and that's it? Then we go on to the next one. So it's about turnover. Or is there a long-term added value that will help the industry? Yeah. And it goes back down to what we were talking about, literally right at the very beginning, about the whole customer service, and that customer service journey. And it, it includes every person within that process, the agent, the landlord, the tenant, the professional, the maintenance, every kind of part of the supplier chain that underpins that process it's all included it's all part and parcel so you know it's about understanding that and that's certainly you know when i'm training people i say to them don't just look at what we do look at what everybody else does as well as because what they do or don't do has a potential to impact on what we do and don't do and that's a very good point that's a very good point and also don't necessarily look at the transaction as being a fee earned that will come look at it about service delivery have some affinity with the transaction maybe meet the parties so you can understand i know there's time constraints and it's not as always easy it's here's the keys off you go and then we've got pandemic times as well which have you know brought some real big problems for um, the whole business but i particularly inventory clerks in terms of you know being alone keeping safe all that sort of stuff and we we've not touched that on, on there at all but there are opportunities and opportunities breed a change. Exactly. And I think with Roper potentially coming in, once that gets settled as to what that actually looks like and how that's also going to be implemented. And then what Property Mark was saying yesterday about the, you know, their visions going forward with the rental reform and looking at mandatory inventory, that is a perfect opportunity for us as professionals, regardless of, you know, what angle we're coming from, from what side we're sat from on, on the table, as it were, to kind of come together and come to a commonality in regards to what does that all look like? How do we best protect that consumer because at the end of the day that is that is the whole point isn't it is, is, i think i think we've come to, to the conclusion that. we come to the conclusion sean power to the inventory professional and uh, get in <laughs> get involved in influencing now for a better future yeah, no, I couldn't put it better myself. I think that's brilliant. And that's a, I think that's a great way to end our conversation, John. Thank you so much for your time, for your expertise. Pleasure. Very enjoyable, Sean. Thank you very much indeed. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, the show notes will go out with um, the recording, and I'll also put a link on there for the ROPA regulations so you can understand a little bit more. Thank you again, John, and I look forward to welcoming everybody else to the next Inventory Professional Podcast. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Inventory Professional Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe to our podcast now and share the love. This podcast was brought to you by Inventory Base, providers of industry-leading property inspection software, accredited training, and on-demand property reports.